You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Dan Kaufman, who probably doesn't need an introduction uh, for most of our viewers and listeners, but I'll ask him to uh, introduce himself anyway. Um, I'm Daniel Kaufman. I'm a professor of philosophy at Missouri State University. I host the Sophia program over on MeaningOfLife.tv. I publish the Electric Agora, which is an online uh, magazine concerning philosophy and the intersection of philosophy with politics, popular culture, etc. I also happen to be, I have now confirmed this, the most frequent guest on Aria's program. He mentioned this last time, and I objected in the comments, and he's confirmed that I am the most... Uh, yeah. So correct? yeah. So ha- some housekeeping, you know, corrections from the previous episode where I was talking to Milton Lawson. I said, you know, I think he is now tied for most with three appearances on Culture Determined. You objected. I went back. I, I, I we went to the videotape, um, as Wonder Wolf used to say, and uh, you have been on at least four times on the once the program officially launched as Culturally Determined, one or two times before that, this will be time, this will be time number five, assuming nothing goes horribly wrong. And then I think if, if you're, you know, if you're at five and other people are just at three, I think you're going to hold this title for a long time, kind of like, uh, you know, Roger Maris did, uh, for, for a number of years with the, uh, single season home run title. Um, That's right. so yeah. Okay. So the, our, our topic today is this, uh, Meme, uh, phrase, cultural idea, cultural trend, uh, known as OK Boomer. Um, it, I guess, has been percolating for some period of time, but went mainstream in the past couple of weeks with an article in the New York Times, uh, which we will link to, uh, by Taylor Lorenz, who reports on social media very often. Uh, the headline of the piece is OK Boomer marks the end of friendly gener- generational relations. Now it's war. Gen Z has finally snapped over climate change and financial inequality. And so, OK Boomer, the, it seems like at least the, the origin as portrayed in this piece, you know, with, with memes, it's hard to say exactly where they start, is this video that went viral on TikTok, which is a, probably people have heard it, most people have heard of it by now, but it's a, a video sharing site that's popular among uh, young people, especially teenagers. And it, it makes it easy to kind of like, mash up or remix or take the audio from one video and put it into your own video. And, um, and so there's a video of a man who looks to be about 65 years old. He has, he looks a lot like Glenn Beck and he actually kind of talks like Glenn Beck, uh, but it's not Glenn Beck. It's, it's seemingly just a, a random person and he's talking to the camera and he's kind of, um, telling, um, Gen Z and millennial people to grow up. Um, you know, you're no, you'll never accomplish, accomplish anything with that attitude you have. And so he's giving them a little kind of like lecture or pep talk or something. Um, it, it doesn't say who this person is, where he came from, why he's doing this. If this video was on TikTok, which, why would a 65-year-old man be doing a video on TikTok is unclear to me. Maybe it was a video that was on YouTube or something. Um, and then so some young woman mashed up this video with – the guy talking and she is, uh, she has like a notebook and she's like scribbling something, um, kind of absentmindedly. And then at the end, you know, the guy's droning on and she holds it up to the camera and it just says, okay, boomer. Um, so this, uh, at least either, it, it, if it didn't, um, invent this meme, it, it like kind of popularized it. And it's gone that, that's, then. that's not the one that has the really, um, grating techno beat with okay boomer being repeated over and over and over again on it is it well i think that was that was a remix 
that was a I remix, was, I think, of the audio of this, you know, 65-year-old man with the, <laughs> with the, uh, goatee. Um, so it's been, yeah, I, th- I think this, you know, this app makes it very easy to do those kind of like remix mashup things. And yeah. So, so lots of people were adding their own version of it. And in the article, um, Lorenz interviews some of the young people who are doing this and especially focuses on people who have started making merchandise um, with this on it, you know, uh, t- t- sweatshirts. sweatshirts. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, whatever you want, um, uh, you know, people setting up online stores and, and stuff like this. So I think what, so what's this um, article went up? A lot of people in other online spaces started using OK Boomer and maybe even people are using it in real life. There was some example of like a, New Zealand legislator, you know, saying it to a older colleague after a speech or something. And yes, yeah, so even philosophy professors are using it. Kate Mann used it on Facebook uh, or no, on Twitter, threw it at somebody who she was having an argument with. So it's it's not just teenagers. It, it's people spanning from teenagers to like almost 40 year olds. Right. Who are, de- who are deploying this now. Yeah. Right. But it is a Gen Z invention. Is that correct? That's what it seems like. Um, yeah. And, you know, we have, we had an episode maybe a year or so ago where we talked about generational differences and conflicts and, um, kind of Gen X's place, especially compared with millennials. And one of, one of the points I made was that, you know, there, a lot of people are like, you know, the, the millennials remind us of the boomers in their sense of idealism or something. Where did this come from? And, you know, the obvious thing is like, well, the boomers are, are mostly the parents of the millennials. Yeah. Um, so now I think with, with Gen Z, it's mostly, Maybe there are some younger boomers who are parents of Gen Z people who are like maximum age, like nineteen or twenty right now. But it's mostly Gen yeah. X, or possibly yeah. even older, older millennials. Have. Yeah, my daughter's seventeen. Yeah, so um, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that I guess what, I mean one interesting fact is just that the Gen Z seems to have aligned itself with millennials and maybe with with Gen X. Although we've talked about how Gen X has kind of <laughs> has an apathetic stance towards politics. Um, against the against the boomers instead of like, you know, being an apathetic generation or 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 something else. So, but there's a lot to talk about here. But you you responded to this with an essay on the Electric Agora titled "OK Boomer." Um, so, well, do you want do anything you want to add to the kind of prefatory <laughs> material before we talk about your piece? No, no, well, well, only just one thing, and that is that um, um, it should be very clear. And I did talk about this in the essay um, that. The word boomer, as it's being used in OK Boomer, is not supposed to specifically refer to baby boomers. Um, um, I've been told specifically by multiple people from Gen Z. I even like had a discussion in my class, which I talked about in the essay. And it's supposed to simply be any older person. It's even being used against older millennials sometimes. Um, so, so I've been told that boomer is supposed to indicate a mindset not a specific generation, though it is a mindset that's associated with older people. So it would be very odd to throw it against a 17 or 20 year old. Um, but it is being thrown against even older millennials who um, maybe someone your age, let's say um, for a certain kind of attitude or, or expressing a certain sort of uh, sentiment. Yeah. So I, it, it's, it is in some way similar to the, like, don't trust anyone over 30. Uh, thing from did Abby Hoffman say that I can't, I can't remember exactly, but um, I don't remember. But that was a very it was a sixties. Yeah, so that was a boomer thing against sixties meme before there were memes, right? Against <laughs> the previous generations, but yeah, I think this is both age generational related and attitudinal, and you know there are people who I mean it, it's really part of it is 
um, just against, you know, conservative politics and people who, you know, dismiss uh, climate change or universal Medicare or something like that. And then part of it, we'll get to this, this kind of related meme uh, that was called a boomer vice or something advice boomers gave me um, is more like uh, a rejection of the kind of traditional tropes about how to succeed in American life that uh, may have been true 50 years ago. And uh, people say they're not true anymore. So we'll, we'll discuss that in a little bit, but yeah, it's not, so you, you can get, someone can call you okay boomer, even if you're gen X or, or something else. And maybe even the kids are saying it to each other. I don't know. Uh, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to know what, uh, what's happening within like the, the uh, another generational group if they're not um, putting it <laughs> on a video that could go viral. Yeah. Okay, so what? Last thing, the last thing I would say about this very, very quickly is that I don't think it's actually specifically targeted against conservatives. Um, um, I was told, or at least it seems to me, that it's targeted around a, a number of specific issues, like you said, climate change um, um, and a few others. Um, 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 because, you know, I'm seeing all sorts of people who are very demonstrably not conservative having this thrown at them also. And so I think it's more issue related rather than overall political orientation related. At least that's my impression. Yeah. I mean, I can see it being thrown against, um, uh, Joe Biden, uh, you know, a moderate Democrat, um, or, you know, someone like him, um, but not like Bernie Sanders, even though uh, they're both boomers. Um, although, no, who knows? I mean, who knows what, what why people would say this? He, okay, you better watch what he says, or he's going to get it thrown against him. Also, it seems yeah. to me. Okay, anyway, so, go on, go so, on. Yeah. So, okay, so you, so you wrote a piece that's, I guess, critiquing this idea, and um, and one, and you kind of start by talking about kind of a school, like the schoolyard taunt of I know what you are, but. I know you are, but I know you. So this, the OK Boomer, the first time I heard it, immediately reminded me of something that we used to do when I, when we were kids, and that was the I know you are, but what am I? Um, and um, the reason it reminded me of that was because of the way it's deployed, and that is that it's sort of simply like repeated over and over again whenever a person tries to respond to you, right? Uh, so, so it's sort of... And secondly, because so, so one is the repetition, okay, boomer, okay, boomer, okay, boomer, um, as sort of a way of annoying the other person so much that they'll simply stop talking with you. Um, and the other thing about it that reminded me of it um, was that, and this is sort of part of the argument of the paper, was that ultimately it was an expression um, of a weak, it was an ex- articulation from a weak position, um, um, that it was an, it was an expression of weakness rather than strength because the, I know what you are, what, what, what am I was often deployed against bullies, um, um, who you couldn't beat up. And back then you were allowed to fight and beat people up. Um, um, there was not the anti-bullying regime that you have now. And so a lot of times this was sort of the thing that the geeks would say to the big kid who was, you know, insulting them. Mm-hmm. And then you'd say, I know you are, but what am I? And then he would insult you again and you'd say it again. And then eventually he'd either get so annoyed that he'd sort of wander off or he'd beat the shit out of you. Um, um, but it was a way of just sort of like, saying, okay, I'm not strong enough to fight you, but I can annoy the shit out of you to the point to which you'll either go away or you'll lose your cool or whatever. So it reminded me of, of it for both of those reasons. One, that it strikes me ultimately as an expression or articulation of weakness. And secondly, that it um, that its its intent is to annoy the person to the point to which they'll simply stop talking. That's why well, why it reminded me of that. 
Um, um, but I will say that the I know you are, but what am I pretty much ceased being used once you were out of elementary school, whereas I'm seeing OK Boomer being expressed, like I said, by late 30s philosophy professors <laughs> and people who are not children. And so I think there's something interesting about that as well. So. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you that it's a, it's what people are saying from a position of weakness. I mean, if it's mostly being said by teenagers, you know, they don't have political power, they can't vote, um, they, they probably don't have a job, <laughs> you know, they, they're relying on their parents. Um, they have this online world in which they're more adept at creating and navigating than their elders, and so they're like taking advantage of that, but yeah, they can't, um, it's not, you know, in a like head to head fight or something. Um, it's, it's probably, you know, the 15 year old probably isn't going to beat the 55 year old in whatever, whatever area because the 55 year old has more power. Um, yeah. so right. I, I agree with that. Um, and I think it's also, I mean, I think what, I don't know if I, if this is a disagreement with your piece. You know, I think like this is, this is just a new, this is, a, yeah, a new phrasing of things that are, we could have, that could have been said for a hundred years, which are like, up yours, or fuck you, or, uh, talk to the hand. That was a, that was one when I was like in middle school. Talk to the hand. Uh, I don't know, I don't know if, if kids say that anymore. Um, it, or get lost, you know, these are a lot of, just, are just like two words, and yeah. they all essentially mean the same thing, which is like, Fuck off! Get out! I don't want to hear from you. Get out, get out of here! I don't care what you say. I mean, te- you know, if that's a teenager's kind of thing. Is I don't care. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, and I, so I, I think that it's it's just that a lot of politics. It, it's become clear in recent years that a lot of like politics is breaking down along generational lines between young people who fear uh, the future of climate change and older people who who will be dead if uh, the effects of climate change uh, come to pass. So they don't uh, have to care about it for their own uh, personal material well-being or, um, you know, your Medicare for all. Uh, young people who want universal health insurance fighting with old people who already have universal government health insurance. Um, they're trying to just get what the uh, elderly people already have. Or, I mean, you know, look at Donald Trump, uh, a classic baby boomer who uh, only cares about himself and uh, watches cable TV all day long and uh, is very emotional and blah, blah, blah. So I I, I think, like, and, and also the, the fact that the top three contenders in the Democratic um, primary are all, are all over 70. Um, this is weird. And... Uh, you know, like, are we ever going to be rid of these people? <laughs> the baby boomer is going to be going to be with us forever. They're going to have like the kind of like life extension and uh, you know plugging their brains into computers or something. So, oh, okay, simple fair, I mean, we did, we did have look. I mean, we did have two terms of Barack Obama, and um, um, I, I really, you know, listen. I, the, the funny thing is that you know I've, I've gotten a crapload of flack for this piece, and I think maybe part of the problem is that the view I was trying to express is actually not that easy to articulate because it's, it's difficult to, to express a view that is simultaneously sympathetic and critical, um, which is what I was trying to do. Um, but um, I, I more than anyone was hoping that um, um, Barack Obama signaled the end of our, our, our gerontocracy. Um, um, I really did. And I was very disappointed. I mean, obviously, I, I did not vote for Donald Trump. And um, although the other choice was also old, 
um, who I did vote for, and I, I wouldn't vote for a third party because it seemed to me to just be voting for the other guy. And um, uh, and I'm very disappointed by the way the Democratic races has shaken out, um, um, in part because uh, it looks again like we're going to have another gerontologic, you know, gerontocracy um, um, uh, come 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 the next election. So I mean, I agree with all that. I mean, you know, something you said though it does strike me, and that is that. Um, in the past, these kinds of dismissive fuck-offs and I know you are, but what am I and whatever they are were typically employed in the personal sphere, right? And so, you know, it was sort of like they weren't deployed sort of politically, right? Um, 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 you know, the baby boomers, the real ones, um, um, were obviously very heavily involved politically in the, in the, in the issues of their day mainly the Vietnam War and then the civil rights movement uh, and the women's movement. Um, they certainly, it was certainly a generational conflict and struggle, right? But they did understand that to accomplish those things, you actually need to win elections, right? Um, um, and that in a democracy to win elections, you actually have to persuade people and you have to sort of um, muster up a, a actual power, right? Actual muscle, uh, which comes in the form of both money and then influence, right? Um, and what I guess bothers me, part of what bothers me is that um, these kinds of memes are sort of being deployed, not in the personal sphere, but in the political sphere. And that's why, in my view, they're ultimately the ultimate expression of, of impotence uh, on the part of the young, right? They, they, they're a display of non-power. Um, now, you're right that the young don't have power intrinsically because they don't have money and they don't have influence. But that is the challenge, right? And, and, and what the 60s uh, generation did was they rose to that challenge um, and they were able to create mass movements around young values, so to speak. And I don't see that happening today, and it's part of what bothers me. It's partly because the OK Boomer seems to me to be an expression of impotence and a failure to recognize that snarky memes are not going to ever win you any elections or anything that's going to get you the things that you claim that you're so upset about, right? I mean, that's what sort of bothers me about it. Anyway, I went on too long. Please um, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, you know, yeah, uh, build yeah. the wall, lock her up, MAGA. These are oh, all God. snarky memes. And, you know, there's more than that, obviously, but not much more, really. Um, I, but so that's not one of the election, do you think, is it? I mean, that's, that's well, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, uh, snappy, snappy branding and simple ideas uh, helped win him the election and his false persona as a, a business genius. Um, which is related back to branding, um, maybe the one thing he's actually good at. Um, so I would say, like, you know, the the personal versus political, yeah, you probably wouldn't say up yours to, you know, a political opponent. Nixon, you don't just, if you're trying to defeat Nixon, right, or get America to pull out of the Vietnam War, you don't just say, okay, boomer to people or dismiss them with snarky. You have to actually go out and, like, create a political coalition that's going to win elections, right? Right. So, I mean, part of it is that, um, you know, the, uh, this is, like, obvious, but the, you know, the internet, um, makes the personal and the political, like, meld together. So that whoever this 16 year old girl who made the first meme where she's writing in the notebook and holds it up and says, okay, boomer, maybe she just made this to send to her friends because she just thought it was funny and it went viral and suddenly, you know, millions of people can see it when that, that wasn't the original intention. So the, the and, you know, it seems like, you know, it didn't used to be that you could, like, 
you know, like do politics from, you know, sitting on your toilet or something. Whereas now if you're on your phone and, and tweeting at people, you're at least, sub, at least there's a simulacrum of participating in the political system, even if you're not really doing anything. Whereas before you, you know, you had to like go out into the streets or uh, call someone on the telephone to, to get these things done. Um, but I think, I mean, there is, you know, the, like young people are not just making memes and selling t-shirts. Like, you know, uh, there's the, um, March for Our Lives movement started by the students in uh, Parkland, uh, Florida, um, against gun violence. And there is the um, climate movement that uh, this young woman, uh, Greta Thunberg, whatever her name is, is, you know, the face of, um, that, yeah, like, like, she has certainly, um, you know, uh, turned herself into a full-time activist if she's, like, 15 or 16 years old. Um, and she's getting incredible blowback and um you know like death threats from uh, because of it so she is she is not just you know making yep. tiktok videos like she's actually doing shit uh, i mean she, she like sailed a boat across the atlantic you know solar powered or something to show that like you didn't need uh massive uh like carbon polluting energy to uh to to travel or you know something along these lines so i think like some of the so some of the kids are engaging in the type of politics that the 60s generation um, did as well. Uh, but you know, not that's, you know, we can lionize the activism of the sixties, but probably what percentage of young people actually participated in political protests? Like I'm, it was probably less than 20% or something. You know, most people are just yeah. kind of apolitical, yeah. apathetic. Don't pay attention to this stuff. Yeah. Maybe with the Vietnam, maybe with the Vietnam war draft that was more salient uh, during that time. There's nothing like that now. Um, so nothing like the prospect of getting shipped off to fight in some wretched jungle for no damn good reason to get you sort of stoked, right? I mean, exactly. I mean I, yeah, I, I know. I, I, that's absolutely right. And look, listen, I mean, these are all these conversations are sort of generalizations. I mean, we're talking about a lot of people, right? I mean, look, there's a reason why they called it the silent majority back then. And I'm sure it included plenty of people of that age, right? I mean, they weren't all even on the side of the activists. So I don't want to, I don't want to ever pretend that we're not generalizing. And you're certainly correct. I mean, listen, I have, there are concerns I have about the Thunberg, Greta Thunberg phenomenon. They're not relevant to this. Um, I, you are absolutely, certainly she is, that is an example of, 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 of actual potent youthful activism as is the Parkland thing, which um, I, I think, uh, you know, with this, 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 this thing with the lawsuit with Remington, the lawsuit against Remington being able to go on is, is, is I think a watershed moment. Um, um, and maybe the thing that finally stops some of these mass shootings, mm-hmm. uh, um, because if people stop manufacturing these weapons, then um, 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 it's going to be a lot harder to shoot 30 people in five minutes. Um, so I, listen, all of those things are great, and I'm, I'm for them in principle. Um, um, I guess part of what the, – and the OK Boomer thing is so, so, so meaningless in the large scope of things. To me, it's more like a symptom, right? I am concerned that too many young people think too much that – online activism has far more efficacy and potency than it actually does. And they're, they're far too enthralled to the technology and the devices and, and, and the virtual space. Mm-hmm. That really is my concern. It's not that there's no real activism going on or that, you know, of course there is, but this, this new technology and this new sort of uh, uh, ecosphere that was created, I do think, has tempted and seduced and distracted too many young people too much. I guess that's sort of, and to giving the illusion of potency and the illusion so to me of the, okay, move, boomer. I mean, one of the things that struck me immediately was the aesthetics of it. Um, 
that 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 the impression that you get from the people doing it is that they've they've landed some sick burn on you, right? And at the same time, it's such an, a clear articulation of weakness that it just kind of you know who is the joke on really? Like you know, I mean, I mean, okay, boomer. It almost you could almost reinterpret as a sort of a sort of a dis- cry of despair rather than the sick burn that they're sort of, it's got a lot of false bravado to it. It seems to me um, that comes from being mistaken, misled into thinking that this, this ecos, this, this online ecosphere is more potent than it is. And, and also um, uh, that, um, that, that they're somehow doing something by employing the platforms of all of these mega corporations that are probably half the ones that are responsible for half the things they're unhappy with. So, I don't yeah. want to deny that there's real activism. It's more that this new environment worries me, and, ter- and its capture of young people's imagination worries me. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the final part of your essay is a kind of uh, Marxist critique, in, in, in some ways, of what's happening. Of the you know people thinking that they're using their you know Apple brand iPhone and their Twitter brand um, tweets, and every time you tweet, you're like. Somehow marginally increasing the value of Twitter.com, this very poorly run, um, you know, tech company that has probably made the world a worse place. And, and. You and I are both on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, like, I'll admit it. Um, and, and also, yeah, the, the, as soon as like this became, you know, maybe it, like it used to take like a couple months if something happened before like the t-shirts started getting made because like supply chain issues and, and stuff like that. Whereas now you can like, you know, immediately there are kids monet- like making graphic designs and monetizing this and selling t-shirts f- for it. And so that's capitalism for you that, you know, like it becomes like it used, there's that old saying about the, you know, starts as a movement and ends as a racket. And, like, th- that happens, like, simultaneously now, that as soon as anything starts, there are people trying to make money off of it by selling crap. And the crap is probably made by sweatshop workers in Indonesia. Um, so, yeah, none of those things are super laudable. Um, so, but, I mean, I, th- I think it depends whether things move from the online space to the real-world space. Um, you know, you can, like... You know, the thing can go viral, uh, and get a million hits of making fun of this Glenn Beck knockoff guy. Um, but, you know, no one knows who he is. No one knows who the woman is, the young woman is who made it. And nothing, you know, no, no real change has been affected by that. Um, versus, where, whereas like, if, I don't know, if, if like people's minds are changed or they, they are suddenly galvanized with this idea that like there's a, uh, generational slash class division in the country between the old people who have all the money and resources and power and the young people who, you know, all they have is a smartphone. Um, you know, maybe they'll be, <laughs> they'll fight to, uh, uh, redistribute, uh, th- that some of those resources and money and power away from the old people. So, um, let me just say one more thing, cause I'm sure you want to get onto the times piece and, and some of the other stuff you wanted to talk about, but just since you raised this question of the sort of the quasi Marxist sort of critique at the end of the essay, I just, I just want to say one more thing about this. And that is that, um, it's one thing if online activism creates an actual general genuine groundswell of a movement, right? Okay. So let, you know, let's say, if we just sociologists later on do an analysis of where the, the, 
the anti-assault rifle uh, uh, activism on the part of young people came from. And it turns out that it's, it, it'll, it'll, it goes back to, to Parkland victims and stuff, employing social media to sort of generate sympathy and, and, and get things going. Um, that's one thing. Um, but a lot of times I think that, a pe- that people are under the impression that um, the online activism is effective because the causes are taken up by quote-unquote corporations. Um, and I'm very, very cynical about our current woke capitalism. Um, um, I think it's entirely cynical. And the minute that these corporations no longer think that wokeness is in their financial interest, they'll drop it like a hot rock. In other words, this is, these are not reliable or genuine partners in any real cause. They're just simply exploiting what they see as um, um, a current way of making money. And so, you know, I've in the past talked about, you know, people might say I'm sort of being contradictory. On the one hand, I'm saying that, you know, all this internet call-out culture, it's destroying everybody, it's wrecking the world and all this sort of stuff. And now you're saying it has no efficacy at all. And I guess in a sense what I'm saying is that it can have a kind of ersatz efficacy in that a lot of big-time capitalists will pick it up and run with it and use it to brand Nikes and to brand all sorts of things and to have, you know, uh, trans flags flying above on top of the Google building and all of that. Um, and that can do quite a lot in the short term, but don't think that that actually is in the long term actually is going to translate into any real political action or change because we have to be very clear about what these organs are doing are doing this for and what they exist for, and that is to make money, right? Um, and I worry a little bit that 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 people think they've won the culture war because they've captured the institutions. And then they get a big rude shock when they wake up the next day and Donald Trump was elected president because, in fact, they hadn't really captured – they hadn't really won the culture war. They'd simply captured some institutions that have a prominent voice in, in the public space. And in that sense, it is very reminiscent of Nixon winning and, and, and defeating McGovern and, 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 the, and, the, and liberals reacting with shock and saying things like, how can that have happened? I don't know anybody that voted for him, right? Um, and so I do, I do worry that, that – um, the kind of influence that comes out of social media activism often is illusory. Um, um, it, it, it is an influence on institutions that cynically employ it to make money. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I have to say on that. Yeah, I, I agree with the cynical take on any sort of corporation allying itself with progressive or woke values. Uh, in order to make money, if, if they started realizing that it was losing them money, you know, 99% of them would, you know, dump the political ideology. They exist to make money. I mean, this is, you know, this is uh, the standard, like, socialist critique. Um, and, but I think, I think I actually, I mean, I think I brought this up in a, a pr- maybe the previous time we had a discussion about generations is like, I think what is, I mean, what is kind of different is like the, the, the movement that, the anti-gun movement that the Parkland students started was like, like they started it. It wasn't like the adults started and j- they joined. And the, the technology enabled that. And there was some, also some sort of generational change because, you know, when like I was in high school when Columbine happened, and I don't think like anyone in my high school um, thought that like we could be the ones who would like somehow form a political movement or something. Like we were just, you know, teenagers. We didn't have any power, and you know, we watched like MTV News and stuff. So it w- there was no way that we could like organize. Um, 
on like a, a, any like scale beyond just the school or get media attention that you know we didn't have to do that because you you were wait, let me ask you though was that because you were relatively ignorant of recent history in other words I'm starting to wonder whether part of the problem is that our students just don't know the history of the country since the Second World War and don't actually know how effective youth activism has been on the ground. Well, I mean, I think we probably were uh, at age 15 or 16. The, the anti-Vietnam protest? Yeah, I mean, well, like, we would have been – I think we, we would have known it just because it was in the air. I don't know if we would have, like, been taught specifically about it in school, like, you know, kind of – like U.S. history classes would would maybe end before then, like end with World War II or something. Um, but like I think a lot of people yeah. had like family connections. Like my my parents actually met in the anti-war movement uh, in college at University of Maryland. So why would you think that after Columbine you wouldn't be able to have the efficacy to do something? I mean, it like- just it, it just seemed like this is you know this is a problem for the adults <laughs> to solve. And what what can we do? We're just kids. I mean, maybe if we had been made, maybe like like I mean the anti-war movement was largely college students. I don't know how much it was high school students. You know, you get drafted. It was mostly, it was, it was a college phenomenon, yes. So that's yes. a different, you know, you're not living at home anymore and, um, you know, you can work with the professors and stuff. Um, so, so that's part of it. But yeah, I think it just would have been like, yeah, this like, you know, the, we're just kids. Like this is, this is not a problem that we can weigh in on in, in any real way. So that, so that does seem different that the, the students immediately like mobilized on their own and became, you know, like national figures. And, you know, I, I don't know if they're ever going to succeed because the gun lobby is so powerful. And there's already like 350 million guns in the country already. Um, and they're making more every day. So, but it, that's but why I think this lawsuit is so important because money, man, if there's going to be a huge cost to this, these gun manufacturers are simply going to stop making these things. They're just going to stop making them. So you'll have to get them from overseas. You'll have to get them, you know, and, 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 and I just, I really do think this is watershed, actually. If this actually works and Remington eats a gigantic sum of money and stops making these weapons, I think that this will be an example of youth activism that really was potent, right? I mean, that really, um, and I'll be very happy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm quite strict on gun guns as, as people will know from other dialogues I've done. So, I mean, I, I, I hope, I hope, I hope it, I hope it works. Um, 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 but, but, but I, I just don't, I don't want people to think that just because you've gone into the, 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 the online ecosphere and now Google's flying rainbow flags that you've won something, right? I mean, that, 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 you you know you've won something when you win elections, right? You know you've won something when you get Remington to stop making whatever assault rifles they make, right? And I'm worried that just a lot of young people are distracted and misled and maybe a little bit seduced by these companies into thinking, oh, yeah, w- w- you've won. You've won, right? You've won, right? <laughs> Here, yeah. look, look, look well, at our I rainbow mean, flag, you know? I mean – yeah, I mean, so there's just on on like the broader broader left, there's kind of the like quote unquote woke people, but then there's the socialist people, and I think the socialist people see through the woke capitalism, for, you know, for what it actually is, and are not interested, you know, not pacified by the fact that General Motors is flying a trans flag or whatever, um, because they like have a deep critique, you know, critique of capital uh, that goes beyond that. So, um, and a lot of the you know. Socialist people are are highly critical of the woke people for you know creating kind of like a distracting, yeah, 
area of politics when you know it's a um, one class is the is the real you know divide of politics, and that's where the, the battles have to be have to be waged. Um, yeah. Okay, why don't let's just mention briefly this article that I just saw today. Hey, there are the other things you wanted to talk about. You wanted yeah. to talk about the New York Times and also about this thing about advice, generational advice. Right. Oh, okay. So this is the um, this was actually Newsweek, and this was just briefly noted. Um, uh, an AARP executive responded to the OK Boomer meme by saying to millennials, uh, quote, we actually have the money. Um, and we can link to this article. Um, but it's just like, um, I mean, like, and this is a woman who, uh, who's like a media, you know, PR person at AARP. Uh, it's like, yeah, that's like, that's the point, lady. Like, yeah, you have the money the, and the kids, uh, you know, kids don't have any money or any power and you continue to exert, uh, power culturally and politically because you have economic power and uh, the the kids want to change that. Um, so they, you know, they, I don't think she, that woman quite gets it. Um, but let's, um, okay, let's, let, so the other thing which is related, I think maybe even, I think kind of more interesting is this, a meme that started on Twitter um, last week and it was started by, um, just a, you know, I guess a regular person, not a famous person, uh, whose uh, Twitter handle is Free Your Mind Kid. And uh, he or she, I think it's a he wrote, what's the most out of touch advice that a boomer has ever given you? Use the hashtag boomer advice when you answer. Um, and so this went viral right, enough that. Is a, boomer here also is intended in this broader sense, right? Not just, not just the. 60s generation. I think so. I mean, basically, it seems like what's like advice your parents gave you is, is essentially, it seems more or less the same. Um, and this had enough play that Twitter made one of its like moments thing about it. That's how I saw it. So I'm just going to read some of the ones <clears throat> that they collated uh, from various people on Twitter. Um, quote, you can't just apply for jobs online. You have to get out there, drop off resumes, call them every day, go pound the pavement. Uh, pay your dues, work late, go the extra mile, take the initiative, take all the tasks no one else wants you to do. Your boss will give you credit and you'll be promoted quickly. It's the way to get ahead. Hashtag Boomer Advice. Uh, if you show you're willing to work harder, they will show that they are willing to pay you more. Go to college, get a good job, be loyal to the company, they'll be loyal to you. And then inserted the uh, skeptical frowny emoji after that. Uh, you'll get more conservative as you get older and start to understand how the world actually works. Uh, literally the opposite. I was a Texas libertarian in my teens, and now the way the world works has made me a goddamn borderline tanky. And tankies are like, you know, the extreme, like, militarist version of the left who, you know, support, like, a communist revolution. Um, and uh, you'll see things differently once you have children. Uh, hashtag boomer advice. And then in parentheses, and no, I'm still just as radical. Um, so I thought this, yeah, this is, I mean, it plays on similar themes of generational divide and... You know, actually, some like I've heard some of this advice myself. Uh, put the you know, pound the pavement and you know leave resumes and stuff. And I, I mean, it, it, it it's it's a symbol that like really the there's an an old sort of story that people told themselves about how to get ahead in America of you know working hard and you know wearing a tie to work and uh, doing what your boss expects you to do and you would be you would get promotions. And, you know, work hard, get ahead. That's the American dream. And that seems to have broken down in the lives of a lot of younger people, um, where, you know, they, uh, they work hard and they, uh, get laid off or they work hard and their salary gets reduced or they, uh, can't get that first job or they can't afford to pay for college. Um, and just that, 
the you know, the older people are still existing in this world where you know your your boss will reward you for being loyal to the company like i, I you know <laughs> does your boss really give a shit about you at all and why would you be loyal to an abstraction <laughs> known as a corporation uh that will lay you off if that's what's in the profit profit motive um so yeah so i thought this was interesting and just also shows that the how big the generational divide is and how much has changed in the economy, um, you know, in the past like thirty or forty years. So, what did you think of this? Well, first of all, what I was going to say was that what strikes me is that I only think about half of the things you read are actually bad advice. The other half, <laughs> I think, are actually quite is are actually quite good good advice. Mm-hmm. So, what was one um, you, that you would agree with? Well, so for example, um, it really is the case, and I've told my daughter this, and she's discovered it by doing it, that it really is the case that just as a general matter, um, you will get more of what you want and be more effective when you deal with people actually in person. Um, um, Whether it's trying to get something from a a bureaucratic office in the university, you know, uh, students of mine are wrestling with the financial aid office or whatever, and they're doing everything through online communication. And I tell them, go to the office. And stand in front of the person and talk to them. And it really does make an enormous difference. Mm-hmm. Um, people simply react to you differently, partly because um, people react emotionally when they can see the expression on your face, when they can see um, dist- visible distress. Um, um, you know, uh, it still is the case that most people are basically decent. Um, um, I find uh, most ordinary people in day-to-day life. And, um, and, and so I think that that's simply true. Um, yeah, um, I mean, an email or an electronic submission is easier to put aside than a person who's standing in front of you who's like, you know, you have to get them to leave somehow and solving yeah, a problem is one way to do it. It's easier to respond to in a callous way than a person who's standing in front of you whose face you can see and the expressions on whose mm-hmm. face you can see. Um, and um, I also have to say in terms of the, the sort of the, the, job mar- the, the job world and the expectations – um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've read a lot about that seems kind of remarkable is that an entire industry of consulting firms has co- come into existence to consult and advise companies on how the hell to deal with young employees um, who are running to HR every five seconds with every complaint that they have about everything that's going on in their company. Um, there just is a sense of um, a kind of refusal uh, to endure the lower the, the experience at the lower ranks of employment that every generation prior uh, has endured and has known about and simply understood has to be endured before one gets to the position in which one can make all sorts of demands and have all sorts of expectations and the like. And so I also do think that there is a general wisdom to the, you know, when you're just starting out and you're at the bottom shut the fuck up, do your goddamn job, don't complain, and and suck it up. I mean, I do think that that's very good advice um, because especially in a job market where jobs are scarce, uh, that you could be replaced very easily. Um, and if all you're doing is, is, is beating down the door of the HR officer, you're going to get replaced. Um, and um, there's also this, this weird expectation. I mean, I, I saw something, I forget where it was. I was involved in some conversation and the person was just sort of like outraged that we didn't realize that, you know, today a young person can't afford to live in, in Manhattan and blah. And I thought to myself, well, who, who says you have a right to live in the highest, the high, most expensive, highest market 
uh, area in the country. You might have to go live in Ohio, buddy, right? Um, and again, that's something everybody knew, right, until about five minutes ago. And nobody really was so outraged about it. It simply was the reality that you can't live in high market areas until you're substantially advanced down the road. And some people never get to live in high market areas. That's why there are people living in Ohio and Indiana and where I live in Missouri. I mean, why do you think that? Why the hell do you think I live in Missouri? You think I live in Missouri because I want to? I can't afford to live in Manhattan. Um, 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 and, or I can't even live forward to live in the neighborhood I grew up in. Now, my parents are extraordinarily wealthy, but they're still alive <laughs> and they're not giving me all their money. And so I, I do find a lot of the complaints and a lot of the, 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 the hand wringing to be rather, to indicate a rather lack of self-awareness and lack of awareness of what. I mean, there's no question the economy was much wider open for the baby boomers than it is for the current generation. Um, um, but it's not wider open than it was for the Depression-era generation. I mean, it's much better than it was for the Depression-era generation. And I do think that there's a lot of um, uh, un, un, just, just uh, unhinged expectations and um, 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 too much by way of dismissing the advice of people many of them actually came up in much much harder times yeah. um, um so anyway that's my that's my sort of answer i i think half the time they're right um but the other half of the time i do think that it reflects a kind of lack of perspective and the lack of real yeah these older people some of them went through much harder times than you knows how to make it through right i mean and perhaps it'd be listened to yeah i think it's um i mean i agree with some of what you're saying um and uh i haven't had a normal uh uh career in the job market so um um um, maybe i'm not the best person to give personal testimonies um uh but i i think like you know there's i think like you know, there's a sense among young people that like, uh, you know, we were sold a bill of goods and a lot of it was bullshit. And this, especially like, because of the, like happened after the financial crisis. Um, and that has led to like radicalization among some people moving far to the left or maybe uh, far to the right. Um, uh, you know, seeking uh, like a radical change in the system to to improve it somehow. Um, but I, so I think, so I, so I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, you know, some sort of massive like system wide change in the way like uh, business and the workplace works seems unlikely to, to happen. Like, like just small changes would happen around the edges, and then like as you know, as the boomers retire and, you know, younger people like naturally gain more power, maybe, you know, maybe they're not so young anymore once they gain power, but different generations gain power, uh, through, you know, (laughs) natural attrition. Um, maybe some things will change or maybe we'll see that like, uh, you know, no, no matter what your good intentions are, like there's just, uh, material facts about uh, modern workplaces that means they like create various ills and there's and and you would need some sort of massive change to do that and then like the massive change will will never happen because it's it's just too hard to to actually pull off um 
but I think it's, I mean, what, what, what is interesting, interesting to me is like that, just that the generational divide and the, and this idea that there's a war between the generations and the younger one is siding, you know, the, the younger ones are sticking together, Gen X somewhere in the middle, but like everyone is saying, okay, the boomers are the shitty ones and they're, and they're, uh, they're giving us this nonsense advice. And they're the ones we need to go after. I mean, it's interesting. And then I wonder what a like orthodox Marxist would be saying about this, because I assume the the boomers are the wealthiest generation, but also there's plenty of people in younger generations who hold uh, economic power. And if like, you know, uh, Instagram decides that they're like siding against the boomers or something like that. Like, the, you know, Instagram is owned by Facebook, uh, uh, created by Mark Zuckerberg millennial. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a like massive, uh, corporation that has had a, in my opinion, a bad effect on, the, on America and the world. Um, so it's, I wonder if it's, it's somewhat of like a false consciousness to, to say like, Oh, we're all teaming up against the boomers when like there's Silicon Valley, uh, continues to, you know, always attract young people and there are very powerful people in their twenties, thirties and forties there. And, you know, other, other people who have, um, generational wealth or something, um, that it's not just like, Oh, we need to defeat, defeat the boomers. Uh, that's false consciousness. We need to power capital instead. So I, I would be, I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone has met a jacket or something has written about this. But the extent to which that's the extent to which you know it seems to me that the the the, the vagueness of what boomers supposed to refer to is kind of doing the work. I have no doubt that a lot of these people would say, "Okay, boomer to Zuckerberg," right? I mean, um, 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 and but let me ask you. I mean, just because I did raise this, and, and I, I'm I'm curious what you think of it. Um, do you not think that young people today have a kind of sense of expectation that's that's rather um, um, out of whack. Um, um, and, and the reason I'm at, you know, there's like the thing, like the thing I said about, you know, I'm outraged that I can't afford, I'm 20 years old and I can't afford to live in Manhattan. Um, well, I'm 50 years old and I can't afford <laughs> to live in Manhattan. Um, um, and I guess what I, what I'm guessing and what I'd love to love to see some data on, I suspect if you interviewed young new immigrants, um, especially from developing countries, they would not have this attitude. Um, 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 in other words, I'm wondering to what extent this is a middle-class phenomenon. Um, um, you know, because I'm thinking about it, you know, whatever the downsides of the economy might be, and there's certainly many, um, you know, there was a major crash when I was coming out uh, in 87 and 88, um, and that, that scared us. And uh, worried us about our job prospects. I mean, the whole Gen X original thing was that we were the slacker generation and that this was partly because our job prospects were so dim as opposed to the previous generation. Um, certainly, if you grew up during the Depression, your, 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 your prospects were even much dimmer. Um, my, father, my parents uh, are immigrants um, and came out of not only totalitarian, uh, totalitarianism in Europe, but war. And genocide um, came to the country not not knowing the language. Um, you have people from very poor developing nations coming here now that are uh, who's young, with young people with children and, and teenagers who are working their asses off. And I just none of them ever speak this spoke this way. And I guess I do think that the young generation is earning some of its. 
um, entitlement characterizations, right? I guess I feel that they are, they do kind of deserve it to a certain degree because it seems like an awful lot of them are white middle class kids. Uh-huh. Whose um, main concern is that they can't afford to live in Manhattan or that, you know, that they've got college loans. You know, my father wish he had a college loan <laughs> when he was, when he was, when he was, you know, fighting, fighting against four Arab armies in 1948. Right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's something a bit. We can we can we can be realistic and recognize the difficulties, the downturns of the economy, and all of that. But there's a kind of an apocalypticism that makes it seem kind of ridiculous, don't you think? Well, okay. So you you encounter many more young people as a college professor than I do, um, who essentially encounters uh, zero in real life, and sometimes you know I see their antics on social media. So um, you know you know them better than I do. Um, I'll say that, you know, when you see things that, like, if something goes viral on social media or something, like, it's captures some extraordinary emotion and is not, like, yeah, I don't know, there's something, like, different about it, and it's not the average person's experience or something, like, you know, the average person yeah. is not, like, tweeting things going viral constantly. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, like, I'm wary of thinking, like, you know, the, uh, <laughs> like, like, people have been saying kids these days, you know, since forever, you know, forever, yeah. Greco-Roman times or whatever, <laughs> biblical times. Um, and the, the complaint that like the kid, you know, the kids today don't measure up to, um, you know, the previous generations. It, yeah. It seems as old as time. So I take that with a grain of salt. Um, I don't know. I mean, like maybe they're like, they're probably kids complaining, like people who are 22 complaining they can't live in Manhattan. There are probably more people who are 22 saying I would never fucking want to live in Manhattan with all the fucking rich people who are destroying our economy and ruining our planet. Um, and they'll go live like in the, the South Bronx or something for, in a, you know, a, a $350 apartment that they can afford. Um, so yeah, so I, so I don't know. I, I guess I, I, I can't render a judgment on that. Um, you know, like I think the, the, the technology is, I don't, I don't think there's been some fundamental attitude, attitudinal change. I think it's probably the technology is enabling us to see the written thoughts or occasionally the actions, like when some wacky things happens on a college campus of um, young people in a way we couldn't 20 years ago. And yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had, I did an episode with Robbie Suave who wrote this book about, I think it was called panic attack um, about, uh, you know, like far left college activists. And we kind of debated this and I was saying, yeah, you know, the, this famous thing that happened at Yale where this student was yelling at the residential college master and saying you're about Halloween costumes. Like, it, you know, if this has happened 20 years ago, it wouldn't have gotten in the Yale daily news. It would have been forgotten instantly because it wouldn't have been recorded by anyone. Um, no one and, would have known about it outside the Yale community. You're absolutely right. right. So maybe, yeah. so maybe there's been some change in the political, political orientation of young people, but also it's just like, uh, anything where it happens, anyone can record it and upload it to YouTube instantly. It can go viral. And then it can, that clip can be embedded in the websites of, you know, uh, that have various ideological uh, access to the grind and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. a mess. No, I agree. It's very difficult. It's, it's so easy. I mean, I just said earlier to not think that not, not to not be too impressed by accomplishing sort of something on, 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 in the, in, in the, in the virtual uh, ecosphere and it's at the same time so easy to think that because something's happened in the in the virtual ecosphere, it's a big deal, right? Um, um, so you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. It's it's it, 
I, I kind of tell you, Ari, I'm almost starting to wonder whether we really, really, really underestimated just how distorting this ecosphere that we've created would be with respect to our even ability to figure out what the hell is going on in the country, right? I mean, I'm wondering whether the need for really good social science now is even a hundred times more imperative than it was before because our perception is so muddled by this, 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 this ecosphere we've created. Um, I don't even trust myself anymore to be able to see clearly what the hell is going on um, because of this. And I can't imagine with people who don't spend all their time thinking for a living, right. <laughs> who have to have to work um, how the hell they could figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, I think the um, – I agree with that and I think it – you know, um, video recorded by cell phones and uploaded to YouTube is something that's like – I mean think about all the theorizing that went along with like the first 50 years of television and like understanding how it affects people whereas like all the filtering that had to happen for something to appear on television versus it's essentially one person deciding that this is the thing they're capturing and then it goes on YouTube and – and can go viral, like the, you know, the, the obvious example is the stupid thing that happened with these kids from <laughs> Covington High School when they were in Washington, D.C., this total non-event that, um, you know, was not, uh, not worth commenting on in any way whatsoever. It became like a multi-week, uh, culture war thing just because there was video. If there's no video, um, it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't, that wouldn't have existed. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's something about the power of video that, um, uh, you know, we're still like grappling with and uh, well, the combination of video and distribution, right? Because mm-hmm. I think I think that the impact of video itself, I think we have pretty digested in a pretty sophisticated way. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is we have yet we we we're still waiting for our Marshall McLuhan for the internet, right? I mean, I don't think that I think that we understand the imp- the effect of the camera eye. I don't think we understand the effect of the combination of it with the kind of ubiquitous instantaneous distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and that's the aspect of it that makes it so distorting. It's not just that the, the, the image is distorting, but the, the, the speed and the, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Is I almost feel like we're, we're still, we, we don't still understand it yet. We, we're still waiting for the Marshall McLuhan of this, 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 this era and we don't really have it unless you're more aware probably of the literature or, or what's going on about – you seem to pay more attention to the sort of the, the online uh, world than I do. For the yeah, I don't, I don't know if anyone has, has made sense of it. I mean the, the person who comes to mind is more someone who writes about the um, internet as a whole and this guy – what is his name? Jared Lanier, um, you know, who he, he uh, is attributed – uh, as creating the term virtual reality and has been... Oh, the guy with the... the, guy yes, with he the has dread, a lot of dreadlocks. Hey, 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 hasn't he turned... He's become very negative about, about, about the ecosphere, hasn't he? I mean... Yeah. Hasn't he outright advocated against removing it from school, from education and from schooling? And, and... It's possible. I know he wrote a book that was like, you know, delete all your apps now or something like that. And he also had this recent video essay in the New York Times that I actually was interesting, but I, I saw almost no reaction to whatsoever for whatever reason that was about imagining a, a change in the ecosystem where your personal data would belong to you. And, and if a company like an advertiser wanted access to it, like they would have to pay you to get, to get that. And so money would like, in, instead of like clickbait articles, like getting money, uh, you know, the, the money would go, would go straight to like regular people who were consent, consensually giving their personal d- data away to advertisers. Um, 
Uh, well, it's all the link to that article will be below. So yeah, I mean, there's people thinking about this, but yeah, I think I mean the pro- it's moving so quickly. You know, YouTube only started in 2005. I mean, things go viral basically these days on Twitter and Facebook, uh, which are also started you know in the past 15 years. Um, so yeah, we're still figuring it out, and and I don't know if we'll destroy the planet or blow ourselves up or something um, because of it. I mean, I think one thing that is. One thing that is interesting, just uh, vaguely related, is that I think um, there were a lot of fears that like Trump was going to tweet something and that would cause World War Three, and, and like any and the, what he said, the tweet where he tweeted about fire and fury, um, North Korea, I guess, was maybe the closest thing to that. But I think with we've just been so inured to his nonsense that if he tweets something now that's outrageous, people are just like, Ugh, you know, this, this again. And so I, I think everyone, you know, the world powers know that he is like a paper tiger and a buffoon. And I think the media has realized like, yeah, we don't need, like, it's not, we don't need to breathlessly report on everything that he tweets out because he's just a moron. So, um, so yeah, so that's so at least that I, I think we don't have to worry about nuclear war sparked by a tweet anymore, but the, the, the just the, you know, uh, tribalism and, um, us versus them uh, style that Twitter encourages is, is definitely bad. <laughs> bad overall for humanity. Yeah. But I mean, that is the inherent weakness, I guess, the one the one Achilles heel of the, the instantaneousness and the ubiquity of it is that um, people get immunized to it really fast, right? I mean, so so Trump's capacity to outrage, at this point, the outrage is almost, it seems to me, entirely performative because at this point, it's just like it's just like the ranting guy on the corner, right? I mean, I mean, after a while, you don't even hear him anymore. You certainly don't take him seriously. Now, in Trump's case, you know, he's in power, so you have to take it seriously. But I, I, I think that most of the the outrage reaction to Trump now is, for the most part, either it's either performative or or um, um, because simply people have become immunized to it. Um, yes, I agree uh, and maybe that. that will happen with some of the other things as well. Um, I, we just don't know yet, but but I am very well aware of the of the distorting effect that it seems to have on people's perception of what's going on, including my own. I'll find myself reacting to things. Say, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Is, is anything actually happening, or is this just people screaming, screaming on, on, on online? And um, um, I almost wish I didn't have to use the platforms because um, I do for the you know. I'm trying to create my own platform in order to sort of, you know, present ideas and stuff without having to go through a lot of mediating institutions. And so I need to use things like Twitter and stuff like that. But I kind of wish I didn't have to because it's definitely affecting my perception as well um, 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 of what's going on. And I sometimes have to be reminded, oh, wait, you're the guy who's supposed to be saying that we shouldn't be paying attention to that stuff so much. And here you are reacting to OK Boomer. I mean, fair enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it was interesting, Arya, that I did bring it into my classroom. I wanted to actually talk to actual young people. And it was, I got to tell you, um, and maybe, and this is maybe I'm sure we want to wind down, but this is something that also struck me about it. Um, you know, Gen Xers, you know, when I was, when I was their age, we, 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 we had plenty of fuck off kind of sort of things of our own towards our elders. Um, but, we kind of expected them to not accept it, right? In other words, we weren't so brittle when the when 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 the response was negative. And I was a little shocked at just how brittle my students were when I even pushed back just a little bit against the meme. I mean, they really 
it was almost like it was almost like a tearful reaction, right? Um, 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 it was almost like we want to have our sick burn, and if you don't if you don't slink off and look like we burned you, <laughs> stand up. You actually stand up and say, "Well, go fuck yourself back." We're just going to fall apart, right? I mean, it was very it was a very odd exchange. I was like, "Wait a minute." Either you're in the sick burn business, in which case you have to sort of say, realize that the person who you, who, who you think you've burned so badly might might not think so and might even swing back at you, right? It's almost like they want to they want to take the piss, but but when they get pissed on back, they they just they they, they fall apart, right? I mean, I actually had one student almost like they were, like they were going to burst into tears just at me pushing back against this meme um, and saying you know, just some of the things that we've discussed here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, that was a ramble. But. Yeah. That is, that is surprising. And your, um, what you wrote about that in the essay, um, reminded me of something said recently by, um, John McWhorter and Glenn Lowry about their students not wanting to like debate controversial topics in class or for fear of offending people. And, um, yeah, I do, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical. A lot of these, like the young kids are, you know, crazy stories, but that did seem to be, maybe there is something there. And, you know, you can say the students, maybe uh, all this stuff about bullying or whatever they're, they've been taught, like, you know, don't hurt other people's feelings. That's really bad. Or, you know, it could be the tech technology part. If, you know, if you're uh, 30 years ago, if you were in a classroom, a lecture class and you answered a question and said something really stupid, uh, by accident, and uh, you know, the worst thing that would happen was like the people in the room thought you were stupid. Um, well, uh, today the worst thing that could happen is someone secretly recording you and they put it on <laughs> Twitter and it goes viral. Twenty million people think you're stupid. And then, now. Yeah, millions of people are laughing at you. Um, so I wonder if that could if that could be a part of it that people are like, why you know, what's the point of, of taking a risk if, if this if, if any moment can can go viral. Um, I guess, I guess what we, you know, what we didn't, part of the, the form that our rebelliousness took was that we did not expect the people at whom it was targeted to accept it. And it seems to me that now they do. Um, um, one of the things that struck me, one of the things that I said to the students was, you know, they said the OK Boomer meme is being deployed against old people who are not listening to their arguments. Right. About especially about climate and about LGBT and certain other hot things that are very important to them. And I asked very, very earnestly, not nastily, I asked, how would you distinguish someone who's not listening to your arguments from someone who doesn't find your arguments persuasive? And this my asking this visibly upset. The people who were defending the meme. And then I asked. I said, I said, please tell me if I'm wrong. I said, but I'm not really under the impression that you're really very interested in having a discussion about these things. You just want us to accept your view on it, right? Um, um, in other words, there seems to be this sort of an expectation that we're going to make these arguments, and because we're so sure of our rightness, everybody else is just going to accept them. There seems to not be any sense of which there's a need to actually persuade people and that you could actually not – you might not succeed, right? Um, um, I don't know how, if you have any feelings about this, but I'm not really under the impression that they want to have much of a discussion. 
Um, and when you ask them, you know, things like how would you distinguish a person who's not listening to your argument from someone who disagrees with them, they get visibly sort of upset. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have feelings about this sort of dynamic or if you think I'm wrong about well, this. Well, I, I, you know, like I said, you're, you're, you have real life encounters with young people that I don't. I mean, I'm reminded of the uh, impetus for the, the meme, the video of the man with white hair. <laughs> um, what is he doing? He's like, for, for whatever reason, he's like delivering a monologue into the camera, like, which is his phone that he's holding up, uh, you know, tutting at young people and telling them they need to be better or something. And then he uploaded it to whatever service. And then, so the, the girl, like, you know, she, like, did that guy want a, um, uh, a debate in the marketplace of ideas about what he was saying? Probably not. Like, it's unclear what, like, why this guy did this at all. It's very strange to me. Maybe he just wanted attention, like most people online. Um, and then the, the girl who's writing on her notepad is making kind of a, like, jujitsu move of, like, I'm not gonna fight back. I'm just gonna be like, okay, boomer, like, fuck off, whatever, whatever, man. And then, like, I'm gonna do my own thing. So, you know, the, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Blucky Heads is one place where people online, uh, can have, uh, conversations where they disagree with each other, but, it, but in most places it's just like open warfare and people yelling at each other and craziness. Um, and so that's the world these kids grew up in. And so it's not like, you know, debating on Intelligence Squared or some NPR program. It's like flame war, you know, um, go, uh, you know, jump off a bridge. Uh, I'm going to murder your mother. <laughs> this, this is where debates end. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I, I look, I mean, simply as a modern version of fuck off, I actually don't really have any problem with it. It's just that when I when I started studying up on the issue and reading about it and asking young people about it, what I was seeing was over and over being told that this is the response that's being given um, to older people's rejection of younger people's demands and, and beliefs on these hot-button issues, climate change, LGBT, especially the T now, um, and all of this, and that's where I sort of have a sort of a problem with it, right? Because that it's not just that it's impotent, but it's also that I don't, I'm not under the impression that they've had this exhaustive argument and come to the conclusion that the old people aren't listening. I believe, well, my impression is that they're having the argument and they're getting pushback because a lot of people don't agree with them. Oh. And um, um, it seems to be that, that they're not very, not just tolerant of, but that they're surprised by. And we weren't, we weren't surprised that our elders rejected our arguments and we weren't it seems as broken up by it um 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 and maybe that's just because we didn't care as much about uh issues which is certainly the case um as they do now but it just seems to me to indicate something that i don't know worries me a little bit at least yeah i i yeah i can't say so i'll let's leave that as being the last word unless there's anything else you want to add no, that's it, Ari, and I appreciate you uh, appreciate you doing, talking with me about it. Okay, so thank you, thank you, Dan. Thank you to all of the boomers and apologies if we offended you um, by you know, <laughs> uh, characterizing you in a negative way or you know uh, presenting you as uninformed or delusional or suffering from brain damage or whatever what it is. Got, what have you got coming up, Aria? What's I always think that we should be telling people what's coming. I so, have. What do you I have, have coming? Nothing immediately. 
in the pipeline. Um, I have recently, I, so I'll tease a possibility, uh, recently finished reading a book by a person who works for the New York Times opinion page um, about a controversial subject and hope to have her on the site, but it may fall through. We'll have to see. And, um, the, and then I have a, yeah, a couple other book ones I need to make my way through that hopefully uh, can come together. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm always open to suggestions. And if people in the comments want uh, want to suggest things or send me uh, or tweet at me uh, things that they think. Well, uh, I've got one already in the can that I did with Robert Gressis on um, on uh, epistemology and specifically sort of um, um, the, the epistemology of disagreement, which is relevant to what we're talking about today. Um, and, um, and I've got one coming next week that I'm going to do with Massimo. Um, Massimo wrote an essay that pretty, that got a lot of, he was pretty provocative about whether or not philosophers actually have expertise in anything and specifically whether ethicists have any expertise with respect to being good. And, uh, Massimo thinks they do. And I was very, very skeptical. And so we got into a little bit of a Twitter argument. Massimo's like, well, let's debate it on blogging head. So that's going to be recorded next week. Okay. Well, that's how it should be. And, um, you know, if the, um, if the old man with the white goatee or the young, you know, the 16 year old girl, talk to Arya. he knows where to find you, right? Yeah. <laughs> out, or if any of you are out there uh, and want to come on, we'd be happy to have you and, um, you can <laughs> give your point of view and maybe get some pushback. Um, so, uh, so, so, okay. So thanks, Dan. Thanks to our viewers and listeners. Uh, and we'll see you again next time. Nice talking to you, Aria.